don't take no as an option. One thing my dad always tells me is just let it roll right off and just keep going forward. If someone says never this, never that, you'll never do that, watch me do it. Never is not an option. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. I want to know what you like or don't like about the podcast. You can leave a message by calling 614-636-2240. Again, it's 614-636-2240. Leave me a message and who knows, you might hear yourself on the podcast. Katherine Larson is in the driver's seat today. She is the owner of Signet Auto Trimming, a company that makes custom upholstery. Katherine takes us through her journey that led her to airplane mechanic all the way to starting her own custom upholstery business. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Kathy Larson in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing wonderful. I'm uh, just kind of winding down. I'm getting into vacation mode, so just uh, trucking along here and trying to stay motivated. So what I want to do is introduce you to the Femcanic community, and I figured we'll start at the beginning of your career and kind of get a taste and an idea of how did you end up where you're at now. But let's start in the beginning. What what got your wrenching? Um, I, I grew up with my dad as a retired police officer, and his release was going out into the garage and just getting away from everything. So growing up, my brother and I were always like, oh, let's go join dad. Like the first car I learned how to do body work on was a 1969 RSSS convertible Camaro. And I was like eight. So I just grew up in the garage doing as much or as little as I possibly could out there. It was like a second home. <laughs> I can relate to that. There's there's a calming effect when I get out in the garage and start tinkering. Yeah, there is. So you would, it really started when you were young. You continued tinkering and going out in the garage with your dad. Now you're a little older, maybe high school, college. What, what did you end up doing? Well, when it came to high school, I was like, huh, what do I want to do for college? And I was actually in between being a vet and an airplane mechanic. And I decided I couldn't really be cutting up open people's pets. I don't have the stomach for that. I didn't think anyways. And so I was like, all right, I'll be an airplane mechanic. And I decided I want to be an airplane mechanic because I was like, hmm, why go to college for something my dad has or can teach me on cars? And then I saw a plane fly over. I'm like, huh, someone's got to fix those things. So I went ahead and was talking to my guidance counselor about uh, how to set up my college applications. 
I have a quick question. Yeah. Your guidance counselor was a man or a woman? A woman. Okay. Go ahead. And I walked in and she's like, all right, what colleges do you want to apply to? And at the time, I only knew of one. I set down a piece of paper and it was Spartan College of Aeronautics and Technology in Oklahoma. And she was like, well, what do you plan on doing here? Are you going for like flight attendant or something like that? I was like, no, I want to be a mechanic. And she's like, oh, well, uh, maybe you should try to go something more female dominated. Can I ask a question? I, I'm just putting this in perspective. Uh, yeah. How many years ago was that? Oh, boy. Uh, 2012. So that's only seven years ago. Yeah. I guess I'm bringing it up for I'm I'm asking these questions for a couple of reasons. One, that's not that long ago. <laughs> right to uh, I mean flight attendant wow okay yeah that's presumptuous but in I purposely asked if it was a man or a woman that lends itself to this isn't men this is men and women yeah feeding into stereotypes and I, I want to call that out boy what did how did you respond when the guidance counselor said that I just looked at her and I was like okay watch me and I grabbed by the papers and everything that I brought, and I walked out. What, what was your feeling? I mean, I, like, I hear it, and I'm, like, disgusted when I hear that. What, do you recall what you were feeling? I was, I was upset, especially another female would talk like that, and astounded, really. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this without you. I don't need you. It was more of a... I guess the main thing was I walked out of that office with a, I'm going to do this, watch me do it. I love it. Now, it's, it sounds like your dad was always inclusive and supported you around your wrenching and tinkering. It, yes. Is that true? Now, your mother, how, how does she feel about you doing it? Oh, she's all for it. She says girl power. And uh, actually, if we can skip ahead to college i have another story for something that includes my mother i would love it please share so well let me let me just kind of bring the listeners along so your guidance counselor made that recommendation you ended up going where well i ended up applying to that college and another college pennsylvania college of technology by myself and i got accepted to both of them but i went to the pennsylvania college of technology which is the technical portion of penn state Got it. Okay. That's helpful. So now you you decided on your college. You started going to college. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, college. Actually, there was one other girl in my class, like not to bash on her or anything, but she was really good with books. But when it came to the mechanical aspect, she wasn't that great. So like I tried to help her as much as I could. And all the other guys that were in our classes, I mean, they made the typical jokes, and so do the teachers, but I take it all with a grain of salt, and probably like 99% of the time, they're all jokes. They weren't meant to be harsh, and they knew they could joke around with me, because that's how I grew up. So on my summer vacation, my mom was teaching at a special needs school, and it was with students that were actually my age, but they're reading at like second grade levels. And by my age, you were at that time, what? 20. Okay. 19 or 20. 
And they were reading at a second grade level. Got it. I'm following yep. you now. And I set up with my mom because my mom mentioned to her students that I was going to college to be an airplane mechanic and the kids loved it. So my mom asked me if I could come in and talk. So I went in and I talked to them about who cares about stereotypes type of thing. Uh, make sure that you do what you want to do. If you want to be an airplane mechanic, go be one. If you want to be a nurse, go be one. Don't let anyone say no. And to like try your hardest and it's going to be hard, but do your hardest and you'll get there one day. And the kids actually, they ended up writing me letters saying thank you and everything. That was really sweet. Is there one or a couple that really stuck out to you? Well, one of them was one of the students actually invited me to their zoo trip in his letter. And then another, a girl that couldn't make it, she wrote me the letter too. And she said that she was very upset that she couldn't make it. She would love to meet me and actually get to talk to me. It was just really nice to get letters from them. And I actually did go on the zoo trip with them after my mom okayed it with the school and everything. That's really cool. It sounds like they had a pretty profound impact on you then. Yeah. And you, you on them as well. Yeah. And I'm always willing to talk to anyone that wants to talk. I'm a very talkative person. <laughs> That's great. Now, what what happened next then? Is it a two-year degree, four-year degree? It was a two-year. And I didn't get my associates. I only got my certificate. But I got it. I did. Actually, I did an internship in between my two years of college. And that was at a helicopter repair station. And a, another a fellow New Yorker in my class who lived down in the Newburgh area. I live over in the Kipsey area. We ended up interning at the same place. So every single morning we would go in and we were told to report to this one mechanic. So we go in and we're like, hey, we're here. What do you want us to do? I'm going to call the other intern, Bob, to save his name just in case. That works. Uh, so Bob and I would walk into work and it was, Bob, go rip apart that rotor head on the helicopter, which is the main rotors of how to keep a helicopter up in the air. It's the main part. And you're working with XYZ mechanic. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Kathy, go clean that helicopter. And every single day I was told to clean helicopters while the other guy, Bob, got to do mechanical work and actually learn how to do stuff, which you're supposed to do in an internship. So what did you end up doing? Did you say anything? I didn't say anything because I was afraid with it being an internship that they would just be like, okay, yeah, bye. Because there was no other females in the whole entire building except for the some bookwork females. So I started getting buddy buddy with a specialty mechanic where he got to do like the electrical stuff and do the vinyl wraps on the outside of the helicopters and all sorts of different little intricate things like how to check the floats on the helicopter. So if the helicopter like had to make an emergency landing in water, the floats deploy. So then it doesn't sink. So I started talking to him and every morning I would go to him instead of the mechanic we were supposed to go to. 
And if the specialty mechanic had something for me to do, which pretty much every single time, because I told him what was going on, he had something for me to do. It sounded like he supported you. Yeah, he did. He told me that I reminded him a lot of his daughter, but his daughter was younger than me. So he was like, I just hope she gets to get the attitude you have and the nerve. <laughs> Love it. So how long were you doing the internship? It was, uh, it was just the summer months in between college. So two, three months. And then I decided after, because the original plan when I went into the internship was I could work here after college. And after I did the internship, I was like, I don't want to go back to that place and deal with some of those men. Kathy, let me ask you a question, because one of the focuses that I try to do in Femcanic Garage is, yes, let's talk about what happened. But I also give all my guests the opportunity to give feedback, because I think there's a lot of people and a lot of business owners that are like, okay, yes, that's what happened to you. So how would you recommend handling it? Like if you were talking to another business owner or employees where a woman comes in and it's already male dominated and it's not about favoritism, but how would you, what feedback would you give them on how to handle things? I honestly, like, I know there's a lot of women that I have seen personally that like if a man or even women make a joke, they take it to heart. I'm really good at telling when someone's joking or when they're being serious. So I guess some people aren't, but like if someone made a joke, like one of the mechanics I worked with, he kept calling me princess. So I started calling him darling and he would just laugh at that. Like it wasn't supposed to be like a bash at me or anything like that. It was him. That was just who he was. He was joking. And a lot of women that I've seen, they take it to heart and they get upset over it. I feel like the biggest recommendation I can have is to learn when something is really serious or not, because it can be avoidable if someone is sexually harassing you or something in the workplace. And when I don't want to put words in your mouth, would you say it's just a matter of asking the female, hey, do you mind? For example, there's some women that if you call in princess in a professional environment, in a garage or, you know, wherever, that they feel that it's demeaning or minimizing them. For your situation, you didn't seem to mind, right? It was no. kind of that back and forth banter. But I think I know some women that they don't like to be referred to as girls. Hey, yeah, go, go talk to the girls over there. And, you know, they're 30, 40 years old have their master's degree or their certificate or degree. That's like, you know, for some women, it's like, okay, well, go over and talk to the little boys. <laughs> and they're <Yeah>. grown-ass <laughs> men. You know what I mean? Like, it's, is it the, just ask, let's just communicate and say, hey, I don't, I don't mean it that way. Are you okay if I do that? And just kind of, is. do you think it comes down to just, just communicate? Yeah. Definitely Don't does. assume that someone is or is not okay with it. Some people may be totally cool with it. It's just a matter of just checking. Yeah, it definitely is because everyone takes something differently. And like me, I grew up with my dad making jokes, but I knew he was joking. So it's definitely a ask 
first or even after. Like if someone said, all right, princess, to me after I asked them something, like if I feel like if you see them like kind of have that like, oh, my God, face on, that's definitely when you're like, you should ask and be like, is it all right if I call you that? I'm joking, by the way. I'm not trying to be offensive. That would definitely make life uh, for a female in a male-dominated workplace a lot better, I think. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So you did the internship pretty much over the summer months. What did you do after that summer? I finished my college out and I got my certificate for being an airplane mechanic. And then after college, I ended up, I was looking for work around where I live. And I didn't want to go back to that helicopter repair station because I didn't want to deal with them. And also I like to dip my toes in a little bit of everything. So I don't want to be just secluded to helicopters, but maybe I want to go work on an airline or private jet. And there was this one company, it was Cessna Citation. And I called them up because I saw they were hiring, but it was for experienced mechanics. So I called them up and I was like, hey, so I don't have my my license to be an airplane mechanic yet because after college, you have to take tests to get your license. So I'm certified, but not licensed. And I explained that situation to them. And they were like, let us give you a call back. And a couple of days later, the maintenance manager called me back and he was like, you just made a spot for yourself. We'll take you on as an intern until you get your license. I was like, awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, and it just took me calling, and I was the first intern for Textron Aviation, which was the parent company of Cessna Citation. And actually, after that, they they started hiring more interns and apprentices. So I feel like that's a pretty proud moment in my life. <laughs> that's really cool. And everyone there was great. I mean, I was the only female mechanic. There was women in the parts division. Um, towards the end of me working there, there was a woman in the avionics division, which is, uh, the electronics for the aircraft, like all, what all the pilots read and everything to make sure they know how high they are and which way they're going and all of that jazz. (laughs) When you were there, did you see or feel that the company was making it a priority to bring more women into the industry in those specifically in those roles? I mean... When I talked to the managers, they said they would love to have more women in the industry, like in, to work for them, especially out on the floor as the avionics or the mechanic. They're just like, but there's no women really in the aviation that are applying. No women really, at least in this area, were applying for the jobs. And I think that's a great call out because sometimes we think that it's companies not opening the door to recruit women, but it's a, it's a little bit of both, right? There's work that needs to be done on a company side and there's work that needs to be done on the women's side is opening our eyes to roles that maybe we haven't thought of before. Yeah. So it, it's really both. Mm-hmm. So You were in the aviation industry and mechanic for how long? Uh, After college, I was working for about a year. About a year? And then Mm -hmm. what happened? 
the Delaware Service Center got shut down, and my service center for the private jets, they wanted to make room for the experienced mechanics from like the mechanics that were working there for 20, 30 years. They wanted room for the Delaware mechanics to come up and be like, hey, you can work here if you want. Like you don't lose your job because we shut this down. And my service center ended up laying off 13 people. I was the last one to go. My head manager was trying to fight for me to be there, except it wasn't my service center's call because it's a worldwide company. It was the people down in Kansas, the main hub, that were looking at the numbers, and they're the ones that made the call. But I got laid off. Wow. I imagine you had a lot of mixed emotions at that point. Yeah, it was actually because I saw 12 other people get laid off, and I asked like my lead mechanic and all sorts of other people, like higher-ups, like, am I okay? Do you think I'm going to be laid off? Because I'm the next on the chopping block. I'm the next youngest one, like newest one, I guess. And like my lead mechanic, he's like, I hope you're okay. He's like, I don't want to see you go. You get stuff done. And he also loved the fact that I was so tiny so I can get into the tight spots of the plane. <laughs> there's, there's benefits. There's benefit yeah. from the typical male stature and female stature. Yeah, there is. Pros and cons uh, to both sides. Absolutely. But uh, I had I took a week off because I was taking my tests to get my license. And I get a call. It was Friday of my week being off. And I was taking the test that weekend. And I get a call from the head manager at my service center. And he's like, hey, can you come in? I want to talk. And I was like, yeah, okay. I called my dad as I'm driving in. I still have my friend with me. I called my dad. I'm like, hey, I'm getting laid off. And he's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Don't think that. Maybe they're just asking how the testing's going. I was like, all right, all right. He said, well, whatever happens, I love you. And we hung up. I got there. My friend stayed in the car. I went in. And the head manager sent me down. He's like, yeah, we're going to have to let you go. It's like, just let you know, I didn't want you to go. It was the head big shots that made the call. And after I got in my car and told my friend what happened, I ended up uh, calling my dad and I was like, I was right. I'm your new employee. I have car payments. <laughs> and, and he was like, all right. And it actually worked out because he was looking to hire someone new. But with me, he doesn't have to really train me because I grew up in the garage doing it because he has a car restoration and uh, customization shop. And all we do is old cars. Wow, that's really cool. So you went back, started working for dad. What did you do when you got there? I was doing mechanics, body work. I was actually the main mechanic. When we send an engine out to get machined because we don't have the machining tools. We have to tear the whole engine apart, like pistons, crankshaft, everything has to be out. And then we give it all to the machinist. He sends it all back, still apart, and then it has to be put back together. So that's what I was doing was mainly the taking apart the engines, putting them back together, any mechanical work and body work when I didn't have any mechanical work to do. 
And I'm bringing the listeners along on this because your background is mechanical work. The reason mm-hmm. why I asked you to be on Femcanic Garage, one of the main reasons, is because I really wanted to get a perspective from a woman who does upholstery because women in the automotive industry will say are unicorns. It's like next level unicorn to find a female upholster in the automotive industry. It, it, it's, it was mind-boggling to me. There just isn't a lot of them. No. So here not. you are doing all this mechanical work, and I just found it fascinating how you ended up doing upholstery. <laughs> when <laughs> Your certification, all of your, your main work has been around mechanical. So how did you, like, you're in the automotive industry. I understand why you grew up around it. But how did you end up really navigating and moving towards upholstery? Because that is significantly different than mechanical work. Yeah, it's a lot different. Uh, Well, my older brother also works for my father. My brother's a mechanical engineer. And my dad taught himself all he knows about cars. So I ended up taking a step back. I was like, well, we want to become an all-inclusive shop one day. Um, the one thing we really don't have is the machining work for rebuilding, boring out an engine, which we're not going to get that because we don't have the money to buy the tools right now. And then I started thinking upholstery. I was like, how hard does upholstery have to be? It's sewing. And I know how to sew. My mom and I made my prom dress. My mom made her wedding dress. And I make little weird things around the house. Like if we needed a new curtain, I would make a curtain or anything pretty much. So I decided to step out of my dad and brother's shadow of the mechanics and body work and try and pursue the upholstery world. And I had to get a big industrial sewing machine. That was the first thing I knew I needed. How did you find that? Well, I was talking to my, I first brought this idea up to my dad and brother And I was talking to a customer that we have at the shop and I brought up the upholstery, me thinking about getting into upholstery. And he's like, you're kidding, aren't you? I was like, no, no, I'm being serious. And he's like, well, when I bought out an old boat upholstery shop years ago, and when I retired, I wanted to teach myself upholstery, but I never got around to it. So I still have everything I bought from them in my basement. And I was like, all right. And we made a deal, like a bartering deal. So we do X amount of labor on his car and we get the materials and the sewing machines that he had. That is so cool. I love bartering. Oh yeah. I will tell anyone the business side of me, barter till your heart's content because... God, I could get in trouble, but it's a lot harder to tax bartering <laughs> yeah. than the exchange of cash and definitely credit card purchases. Yeah. Barter, barter, barter. And also, you don't have to buy the stuff that you're trying to get. You end up getting a better deal a lot of times. Absolutely. And everyone's yeah. happy then. Everyone's getting what they want. Yeah. And just to put it in perspective, where are you based out of? The shop is in Kingston, New York. Okay. Got it. Okay. Wow. And so I just started taking the scrap material and a lot of car seats have foam on the back of them. So I bought some foam and I just started running them through the machine to figure out how it all worked together and how it laid and 
how it moved while I was in the machine because it's a walking foot machine, which a house machine is not like a normal home machine. And a walking foot has pretty much a foot underneath that pulls the material through. So I don't need to push it through like on a normal home machine. So I don't even have to have my hands on the material and I press the foot and it just goes. That's wild. Yeah. I, there was a couple close calls though. It almost went through my hand a couple times and it Oof. will go through your hand. <laughs> I've gotten it up to 11 layers of leather that it will sew through happily. 11 layers of leather. Yeah. yeah. Holy mackerel. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the typical thickness of leather. Yeah, it's a beast. That's over an inch thick of leather, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that'd go through your hand in a heartbeat. Yeah. But I had it at the second to lowest power. But when I turned the motor all the way up because I put a new electric motor on it. I turned it all the way up one day and I hit the presser foot. And the whole machine was rattling in the table. The table started moving across the floor. I'm like, oh my God. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> it slightly is. Like the machine's coming alive. <laughs> it is. So that's how you got into it. How long have you been doing it now? Upholstery work? Uh, about a year. And it's not an official business yet. I kind of just do it as a division of my dad's business. So not a lot of people know about it yet, but I do some of the customers' interiors and I also, family friend had a dining room table and it's a metal table. The seats have one cushion on the bottom and he's like, these are destroyed. Like, can, can you repair them? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I pretty much do anything now. It's not just cars. <laughs> That's really cool. Now let's talk a little bit about, so you've been doing it a year, but you yeah. literally in that year's time had an opportunity on a big stage to test your skills and it to be looked at with a fine tooth comb. Do you want to share what uh, you listed as your proudest career accomplishment? Yeah. My brother and the shop, mainly my brother, did a a 1970 Kudo with a Viper V10 in it. And my brother did over 51% of the metal work and everything. And the interior wasn't even a thought in our minds yet. But I saw the SEMA Young Guns Battle of the Builder competition. And I was like, huh, you have to do it over 51% of the work. You have to be under 20, 27 or under. So I signed my brother up without him knowing. And... Then I told him after I signed him up, and he made it to the qualifying round. What did he do when you told him? Was he excited? Was he like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> well, I told him, he's like, that piece of shit, that ain't going anywhere. <laughs> he's like, I'll never win. Why'd you do that? Well, you had to send pictures in, and he made it to the qualifying round. And now I'm thinking, oh, boy, what are we doing for the interior? So I got in contact with the owner. And he showed up at the shop and he was like, here's 2014 Challenger seats. You need to put those in there. And pretty much the same instructions that he gave my brother for the whole car was put these in that and make it look cool. And I say these because the owner showed up with the engine and transmission and the body. He was like, put those together, make it look cool. So he did the same thing with me. So I had full reign on the whole entire interior. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah. 
And I looked down like, okay, I guess I'm doing it now. And I knew I had the time crunch on top of it. So I'm like, this is my first full interior ever. And I have a time crunch. So I started trying to figure like drawing what I wanted it to look like. And the challenger seats were actually seats out of a wrecked challenger. So the airbags blew out of the sides. I was like, oh, okay. So I could just keep these stock and I can just stitch that up. Like hand stitch it up. That'll be no problem. We'll just keep the stock look. And I started working with the back seat. And like, I was like, oh, well, the bench seat won't work because it can't sit all the way down because the drive shaft tunnel is too high. It's like, I'm going to have to make two bucket seats. So now I have to cut the seat in half. So <laughs> I cut the seat in half and I made them fit. I was like, all right, well, now the backs of the back seat are too tall. So I cut about a foot out of them. And now I'm looking at what's left of the seat covers on these seats. I'm like, there's no saving these because they're all hacked apart. So I was like, all right, guess I'm making seat covers now. So I started thinking of what design I'm going to do. And I came up with uh, black seats. And here's some background first. The car itself is a dark gray and black and the engine is bright red and the wheels are also bronze so now you know what colors i'm working with (laughs) i made the outside of the seats were black and then the insert where mainly your butt and low back touch i made gray and i did horizontal pleats in it to make it kind of look like a snake belly because the engine's a viper that's cool and i did a red vertical stripe down the horizontal pleats, like right in the center, because I wanted to bring some of the red into the interior. And so I I had to make a whole custom like pattern and everything for the back seats at least. I couldn't just cut apart the seat cover and follow that as a guide. So I got the seat covers how I wanted them. And it was a lot of trial and error with the horizontal pleats because they were only an inch apart. So trying to get something that's so close together look perfectly straight is actually very hard. Oh, yeah. I could only imagine. (laughs) And I got the seats all together after my few screw-ups. And now I put seats in. I'm like, cool. Now they look much better than the rest of the interior. And also the whole tranny tunnel and everything had to be modified because the Viper transmission is a lot bigger than the original transmission that was in the car. So nothing original would fit like the center console or anything. I was like, all right, I need to make a new center console. And I'm going to make it the full length of the car. Or there's just going to be dead space in between the two back seats because I made them into bucket seats. So I fabricated a center console that goes from, it wraps up from the dash and down to a level strip and then goes back up in between the two back seats to the package tray. And I had wrapped that all black after I made it. I had to lay the carpet and I found some great sound deadening material too that I put under the carpet because I was trying to go with a luxury look but still has a little bit of a mechanical edge, kind of like how the exterior of the car looks. It's a car you could bring to a nice dinner and get out and people go, ooh, look at that car. How did you guys end up doing it, Seema, then? My brother 
got into the top 40 of Battle of the Builders, which meant he got into the top 10 of the Young Guns division. Nice. Well, congratulations to all of you. That's huge. Thank you. And especially as a, a your first full interior. What a what an accomplishment. Yeah, actually, um, I met some amazing people out there that complimented the interior. Uh, I'm sure you know who the Ring Brothers are. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad and I were walking around SEMA, and we were looking at their car, and we're like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And of course, I'm just like oogling at the interior of this car because it's gorgeous and my dad and I we saw one of the ring brothers sitting there we're like yeah screw it let's go talk to him and we went and talked to him and my dad was like yeah she's becoming a seamstress and doing upholstery and he looks at me and he's like oh really this is my interior guy and I started talking with his interior person and he gave me his card and told me to call him or email him or whatever Anytime I have any questions at all. That is so cool. Where are they based out again? Oh, boy, I don't know. <laughs> uh, a different state, not New York. Out west somewhere. <laughs> not New York. Um, wow, that'd be cool if you're able to go and do some shadowing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Well, after I was talking with the Rain Brothers and his interior guy, the Rain Brother actually said that he wants to come see the car because I told him, like, my first interior is here. So I was like, oh, yeah, we're in the blue lot. And he's like, all right, well, I'll, um, I'll be out there around this time. So look for me and come hunt me down. So I kind of like stood guard at the doors to the building waiting for him to come out. <laughs> and uh, both the brothers actually came out with their wives. And they both the brothers came over and I made sure my brother was there, too. They looked over the whole entire car and they looked at the one looked at me, he's like, if you stop doing upholstery, I'm going to come find you and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they both gave me a hug. They both shook my brother's hands. And they're like, well, I hope to see your work next year at the Battle of the Builders so we can have some competition. <laughs> and uh, one of the young guns that made it to SEMA as well is actually one of the uh, interior guys for Ken Bigot. And he came over and looked at my interior and he was like, honestly, I've seen guys that are in the field for 23 years and you do better work than them. Wow. What a compliment. Yeah. I, I was just fangirling out there pretty much over all these people and they're complimenting <laughs> me. <laughs> That's awesome. So needless to say, do you feel like you've kind of fell into your calling? Yeah, I think so. Like when I go and do the sewing it's nice with hearing my dad and brother going, oh, well, how do you do this? Or can you do this for me? Because that's one thing that I know more about than they do about cars. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that you took the perspective of your words that you used was coming out from behind my dad and my brother's shadow. So I think that's commendable because oftentimes we get hell bent on being something. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, hey, I went to school for this and feeling like we have to stay with that. Yeah. But you stayed open to pivoting, to pivot to a different direction in your life and being open to that. And even though you're still in the automotive industry, when you go from mechanics to upholstery, that's a pretty big pivot in automotive. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that's super cool that that you allowed yourself to stay open to that. 
and vulnerable enough to, in essence, start over because it is starting over because there's not a ton of transferable skills, not that there aren't any, but there's not a ton when you move from mechanical to upholstery. It's very different. Yeah. I mean, the one good thing with my mechanical background is me figuring out how the sewing machine works. Because I like knowing how things work before I use them. So when I first got the sewing machine, I started like moving it by hand. I'm like, all right, this moves that and that moves this. I still don't understand the whole mechanics of the sewing machine. They are so intricate. It's amazing. I think this is a great time to launch into the red line round. What a high to move into the red line and getting massive kudos from industry icons in your first full interior. So kudos to you. And are you ready for the red line round? Yeah. What the red line round is, is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head first is the right answer. Okay. All right, Kathy, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? I would say my father. Awesome. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a project? Most of the time, the internet, if I can't figure it out myself. And by internet, is there any go-tos? Yeah, just a Google search or YouTube or um, with upholstery, there's this forum, it's called the hogring.com. And you have to be approved to be in it. It's only for like serious upholstery people. If I have stuck on something, I can go there and be like, hey, what did you guys do if you ran into this issue? And it's live people talking back to you and telling you how they dealt with their own situations. And there are actually other females that are in the upholstery world that are there sharing their work. And it's amazing. That's really cool. What excites you most about what you do? The end product. Being able to be like, I did that. (laughs) I feel you. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit. My stubbornness. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it works. Sometimes that stubbornness is what keeps you going when other people may be trying to discourage you. I love it. (laughs) My son should be really good to go then. (laughs) (laughs) He should be very successful. Um, Yeah, he should. (laughs) What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Don't take no as an option. And uh, one thing my dad always tells me is, When I get discouraged or upset, he tells me, uh, be like a duck. The first time I was like, what What do you mean? Be like a duck. He's like, but when water hits a duck's back, what does it do? It rolls off. So be like a duck. Just let it roll right off and just keep going forward. I I love it. I wasn't sure where you're going with that, (laughs) which is probably (laughs) the way you felt the first time you heard it. I'm like a duck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. I got it. Let it roll off your back. I'm, I'm with you now. I'm actually Danish, and one phrase that I have heard, and I'm like 99% sure that's translated correctly, is aldrig or eikenmuglet, which means never is not an option. So if someone says never this, never that, you'll never do that, just be like, yeah, I can. Watch me. I love it. Watch me. 
And do you mind saying that again? How do you say it? Aldrig Erk Eikenmugwet. Wow. I, I, I almost <laughs> said bless you. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, it sounds beautiful. I, I'm, I would, if I tried saying that, I'm pretty sure I would dishonor the saying and just slaughter it. So I'm going to leave it as beautifully <laughs> as you said it, because it sounds very elegant. <laughs> well, I think I'm saying it correctly, so don't hold me to it. <laughs> One of your family members be like, really, Kathy? Come on. <laughs> Well, regardless, you, fake it till you make it. And it sounds wonderful. So I, I, I'm a believer. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so, Kathy, where and how can people connect with you? On Facebook with Katherine Larson, K-A-T-H-R-E-E-N-L-A-R-S-E-N. And I'm also on Instagram as Kaffer Taffer, K-A-F-F-E-R-T-A-F-F-E-R. Explain that. Handles on Instagram, I always find them fascinating. Well, that was just what one of my friends used to call me. Gotcha. And it just stuck then. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I also have my upholstery not yet business on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And what's the name of that one? It is Signet Auto Trimming, but I kind of combined the two spellings of Signet because you have Signet as a ring or a jewel and then you have signet which is a baby swan and i get my danish background from denmark and denmark's national bird is a swan so it is s-y-g-n-e-t auto trimming right on that's really cool kathy thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today i really enjoyed listening to your journey and learning more about your journey in the industry it's fascinating how you went from mechanic to upholstery and it just can open up the eyes of a lot of people that's really cool and thank you so much for taking the time well thank you for having me it's been an honor i'm kathy larson with signet auto trimming and i'm a fen mechanic stacy chandler is in the driver's seat next she is representing our femcanic community in the united kingdom She is a mechanic specializing in Porsche Classics and spent time in Germany training for the Classics. Join us as she shares how she went from a career in the wedding and fashion industry to a classic Porsche mechanic. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?